Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Turn Back Time podcast. I'm Charlie once again and this week I will be discussing the years of 2016 and 2017, two years that helped set the stage for a major share comeback in 2018, so I'm looking forward to discussing these years. But before I do that, I do have some sad share news to share. On April 30th, the country music world was surprised to hear that singer Naomi Judd of the Judds took her own life at the age of 76. You may be wondering how this is related to Cher, but if you remember, Cher did a cover of the Judds classic Love Can Build a Bridge in 1995 with Nana Cherry and Chrissy Hind. It was a number one hit in the UK and featured Eric Clapton on guitar. So... It is sad to hear that a talent such as Naomi Judd is no longer with us and that she took her own life. She did help write Love Can Build a Bridge as well, so she managed to help give Cher a major hit in the UK, and it's a lovely song. In fact, it was the final song that the Judds performed together on the CMT Awards on April 11th, ahead of a reunion tour that was supposed to take place this fall. There will certainly be tributes to Naomi in the months and years ahead. I would love it if Cher would actually join Winona Judd to sing Love Can Build a Bridge. I think that would be an amazing duet. Winona still sounds fantastic based on that performance. So, Naomi Judd, thank you for giving us Love Can Build a Bridge and other lovely tunes. You will certainly be missed and... This is sadly a cautionary tale. If you are at all thinking of suicidal thoughts like Ms. Judd was, please seek help. It's not worth it. And now, let's discuss 2016. This wasn't the most active share year. She made most of her headlines this year for her political activism, campaigning for Hillary Clinton initially. She did get some flack for not endorsing Bernie Sanders instead. Cher went on to say she was not sure. Of course, Hillary Clinton ended up becoming the Democrat nominee, and Cher continued her campaigning for her. However, Hillary Clinton did lose to Donald Trump, and... uh, I'm just going to let that speak for itself. But 2016 wasn't all politics for Cher. She did make a fun appearance on The Late Late Show with James Corden in October of that year, and there is one bit of this appearance that I absolutely adore. Cher and James Corden did an updated version of I Got You Babe called... I got you, Bay. Cher came out in her red mini dress worn on the Dress to Kill tour and the Caesars residency, while James Corden came out in an 80s Cher wig and leather jacket. And they performed this updated version that references Snapchat, Facebook, sexting, and all that fun modern stuff. I absolutely adore it. I think it's hysterical. I'm so happy it exists and It is my favorite Cher 2016 moment, for sure. Of course, this all set the stage for 2017, which really did see the return of Cher the Entertainer for the first time since 2014. But before she really returned to her day job, Cher did do a major political event in 2017. On January 21st of that year, she attended the Women's March on Washington, which was organized to advocate for women's rights, and it was in protest of the election of President Trump. 
Cher was not happy about that. She threatened to leave the planet because of his election, but fortunately she didn't. We're glad you're still here on Earth, Cher. Though I'm sure the planet Volkturn would have welcomed her. Cher was one of many celebrities who attended the Women's March on Washington, and she managed to snap photos with several of them, including her son Chaz Bono, Alicia Keys, and most notably, another one named Diva named Madonna. Over the years, these two women have certainly not had the nicest things to say about each other, but it was beautiful to see them set aside their differences and come together for the greater good of women's rights. Unfortunately, Madonna landed herself in hot water once again at the Women's March due to her speech where she revealed that she sometimes thought about blowing up the White House. That was not a good move. She was clearly very angry, but she should definitely not have said that. However, I do love Madonna. She's my second favorite, right behind Cher, of course. I don't agree with everything that she says or does, especially in recent years, but I will always be a fan, so I want to make that clear. I am not dissing Madonna. I love her. But enough about her. Let's get back to Cher. 2017 saw Cher's first official recordings since Closer to the Truth, so this was undoubtedly very exciting for fans. There were a total of four songs that were unofficially released this year, I guess you could say. Only one of these songs was officially released to a streaming service in 2017. The first of these songs is called Prayers for This World. Cher recorded this song with the West Los Angeles Children's Choir for the HBO documentary film Cries from Syria, which was released in March of 2017. The song is only featured in the documentary. There is no official release of it. Fortunately, you can find it on YouTube, ripped from the documentary. The song's writer, Diane Warren, we've heard of her before here, hinted that Cher recorded a solo version of the song but wasn't happy with it, so therefore it was not released. I think Prayers for This World is a nice song, I would like for it to be released to streaming services. I don't think it's quite an essential Cher song. Certainly not the best of Cher and Diane Warren's collaborations, of which there are many. But I think it's a nice song, and Cher does sound good on the version that did make it into the documentary. Prayers for This World was one of two Cher ballads this year. The other was Walls. This was recorded for the Free the Wild Foundation, and Cher performed it at the One Young World Summit in Bogota, Colombia, in October 2017. It did not see an official release until 2021 with the Share and the Loneliest Elephant documentary. I like this song a bit better than Prayers for This World. It kind of reminds me of Sirens from Closer to the Truth musically. I don't like it quite as much as that song at all, but... I do enjoy Walls. It's not one I go back to often, but I'm glad it exists, and she sounds great on it, of course. The other two Cher songs are a bit more unique. They were recorded for a kids' TV show called Home Adventures with Tip and O. This was a Netflix series that aired from 2016 to 2018. In August 2017, there was an episode entitled Cherkophony that starred Cher as a diva called Cherkophony. 
Shercophony is basically a blue blob who dresses in Cher-like outfits. There's a different one for each appearance throughout the episode, of course. Shercophony appears to advise Tip, who wants to become famous, that fame is not more important than being yourself. Who better to deliver that message than Cher? I can't think of anybody. Shercophony performs two songs in the episode. One is Oogaboo, and the other is You Go Be You, which is a duet with Tip, portrayed by Rachel Crow, who was a contestant on the first season of The American X Factor. You Go Be You sounds like a kid's show song. It is very catchy. It does get stuck in my head. Oogaboo is something different. It has a similar message to You Go Be You about being yourself. But it's also kind of a love song. It is pretty bonkers, I will say. I don't listen to it ever. It is certainly one of the most bizarre songs Cher has recorded. It's completely bonkers. But... I am happy it exists. There's nothing else quite like it, and only Cher could record a song like this amidst performing a greatest hit show in Las Vegas and have it not really affect her. She just does her projects and moves on. And most of all, I love that Cher has appeared in several kids' shows and movies over the past few years. Kids should be introduced to Cher because she's amazing. The last Cher musical thing for 2017 is a Gap commercial that Cher appeared in with Future in September, and they did a snippet of Everyday People by Sly and the Family Stone. I kind of doubt that a whole version exists of this. I'm guessing they just recorded it for this Gap commercial. However, I love it. I think they both sound awesome on it, and the song itself is a classic. I would definitely be here for a full share recording of this song in the future. And I think this commercial once again showed what a versatile vocalist Cher is by taking on a classic R&B funk song and making it her own. Her voice really does go to any genre. It's amazing. In this case, even hip-hop a bit because she collaborated with Future. Speaking of Sharon hip-hop, there was something I forgot to mention in regards to 2015 on the last episode, which is that Cher appeared on a Wu-Tang Clan album that year on two tracks. However, we have not heard these tracks because this album is only available on two CDs. And I mean, period, two CDs. There are only two copies of this album, and it will not be unlocked into the world until the year 2103. I so wish I could hear these songs, but I highly doubt I will live to be 106, so I have to accept the fact that I never will. But it's okay. I've gotten to live through plenty of share moments, and I had a great one myself in 2017 because... This year marked Cher's return to the stage in a new Vegas-slash-DC residency entitled Classic Cher. It was announced in 2016, and it was to play at the Park Theater, a new venue at the time, at the Monte Carlo, now called the Park MGM, in Las Vegas. This is where it was primarily to be performed, but... 
The East Coast had a MGM casino opening up called the MGM National Harbor with its own entertainment venue, and Cher would be bringing her show to that venue as well. This worked out great for me because I'm from Maryland, so that meant that I would get to attend Classic Cher without geography being an issue. I would have made the trip to Vegas if I had to, but it was nice knowing I didn't have to go that far. After all, I was in college at the time. And fortunately, the first set of MGM shows at the National Harbor were in March of 2017 during my spring break, so I got to attend it with no issue because I was home anyway. My parents were nice enough to get me a very nice ticket for it for my 20th birthday. I wasn't on the floor, but I was very close to it. I mean, first row behind the floor. I was very fortunate to get this experience. Now, with that being said, I will say, at the time, something about this residency felt off from the announcement. The announcement was very sudden. It was announced it would be for new venues, but it was just completely out of the blue. Cher hadn't really been up to anything that I had known about entertainment-wise, and it just felt pretty random that she was going back to Vegas with nothing new out. She did that with Caesar's Palace too, but that was preceded by up to a year of rumors that she would be replacing Celine at the Coliseum. This just happened out of nowhere. There was no build-up whatsoever. And because of that, I do have to give MGM some negative points. They did not promote Cher anywhere near as well as Caesar's Palace did. I mean, Caesar's had Oprah film in the Coliseum, for classic Cher, Cher appeared on the talk after the first set of shows in Vegas, not even before. After. The best promotion for the show this year definitely came in May 2017 when Cher won the Billboard Icon Award at the Billboard Music Awards, and that show was held at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, same place Cher Live in Concert from 1999 was filmed, and Cher performed Believe and If I Could Turn Back Time in the outfits that she wore for those songs in the show, and her award was presented by Gwen Stefani, so that certainly helped put it out there that Cher was in Vegas once again. The show opened on February 8th, 2017, and performed throughout the month. This was in Vegas. Unfortunately, two dates ended up being cancelled because Cher and several members of her team had the flu. That news had me quite worried about a cancellation by the time March came around, in addition to the news that Cher was scheduled to appear in a Lifetime film called Flint about the Flint-Michigan water crisis, but she dropped out of the film before production was set to begin in April so she could help support her mother, whose health was not in the best shape at the time. Sadly, it isn't right now. Prayers for Georgia Holt, for sure. But the show did go on. I went to the second of the last of the first set of MGM shows on March 25th. And while I was incredibly grateful to have a great seat for the show, at this time it was my closest ever seat at a share show, she definitely had a bit of an off night. I am going to attribute this to the fact that she was probably worried about her mother at the time and wanted to get back home to help her out. 
The usual energy wasn't quite there, and she even forgot a whole verse of If I Could Turn Back Time. After the show, I was actually beginning to wonder, is Cher maybe too old to be doing this anymore? Is she losing her touch? Fortunately, that was not the case. She proved me wrong the following year and several times after that. It was just a bit of an off night, and considering what I know about what was going on, it all makes a lot more sense. I still had a great time, it just wasn't the best share performance I witnessed, personally. I did manage to write a pretty good review about the show for my college radio station's blog at the time, and I got quite a bit of positive feedback on my review of the show, which I felt was fair. It pointed out some things that I felt could be improved when it came to the set lists and costumes, but I advised everybody to still get tickets. It's still an awesome show because it's share. I would like to think that my review helped some people get tickets to the show because the sales did improve throughout the year. They actually weren't quite the best at first. The first set of shows in Vegas did not sell out, much unlike the previous residency in 2008. I think a lot of this had to do with the lack of promotion on the part of MGM and the fact that Cher had more competition in town at the time, which I'll talk about more in a bit. The fact that two shows were cancelled did not help, but only 80% of the tickets available were actually sold. That's not bad, they still made plenty of money, but it wasn't quite as good as it would get. And the National Harbor shows that year managed to sell over 90% of available tickets. The first set sold 96%, which is awesome. There were some empty seats at the show I went to, but... They were mostly filled. Quite a few of the concert goers were surprised to see how young I was. I definitely was not the youngest there, but I was close to it. I wasn't even old enough to gamble at the time. One of the highlights of the particular show I went to was a pink sign that one concert goer held up that said, If I could turn back time, if I could find a way, I would change the results of Election Day. I loved that sign. One couple I met at the show was there to see her because they didn't get a chance to see her on the Dress to Kill tour because they had tickets for one of the canceled dates. Everybody I met at this show was super friendly. I can't say the same about one of the shows I attended the following year, but this was probably the nicest crowd I ever encountered at a share show. I feel like I'm kind of rambling now, and you're all probably thinking, Charlie, just talk about the show itself. So, I will now talk about Classic Share. I will say, not the most creative title, but it works. The concert begins with the same video montage that we saw during the Dress to Kill tour set to a remix of Woman's World, and this is followed by Share coming out and performing... Woman's World, this time a shortened version, omitting the whole second verse and chorus. But as I said in my episode about the Dress to Kill tour, I think the choreography for the song improved greatly here. We saw Cher push a couple of the guys out of the way, and that was awesome and got a big cheer from the audience. The Vegas shows had the video displayed on a curtain, 
that would then fall down to reveal Cher. This didn't happen at the National Harbor. We just saw it on the two side video screens and the curtain opened up to reveal Cher. It was a really pretty purple curtain. It wasn't quite the same effect, but it still got the job done and we were all hyped to see her. And she came down in a blue ensemble, complete with a black afro wig and really pretty black and blue earrings. I really liked this outfit. I'm suspecting that it was Bob Mackie's outfit for the aborted second leg of the Dress to Kill tour. I suspect that about quite a few of the outfits here, because he was back as costume designer for this show. This outfit was definitely the most unique of all the ones seen during the show. Everything else was a bit derivative, not even a bit, actually completely at times, of previous outfits. So seeing one that was completely new really made the show feel a bit more worthwhile than it already was. Woman's World was followed by Strong Enough, a similar performance to the Dress to Kill tour. Once again, I do like the outfit here a lot better, though. And this was followed by Cher's monologue, which, for this residency, took some time to come into focus. On the opening night of the Vegas show, Cher did make a funny crack about how, oh, you could go see Elton, Diana, or J-Lo, but hey, why don't we go see Cher? She's still alive. Before that, she asked if they were there for her immense talent or because they were shocked that she was still there. She even did a Q&A with the audience on the opening night, which was nice. By the time I saw the show, she had crystallized her monologue into the one that she would be doing for the remainder of the show's and the Here We Go Again tour. She told two stories, one about her and Sonny performing in nightclubs because they owed the IRS a bunch of money, and how she would do stuff just to make the band laugh because... Nobody was attending the shows. Cher followed this with the story of the time that she turned 40. Cher revealed that the night before she turned 40, she met a man named Rob Camaletti out with her girlfriend Paula at a club called Heartbreak in New York. And the next morning, she got a phone call from Witches of Eastwick director George Miller telling her that Jack Nicholson didn't want her for the movie because she was too old and not pretty enough. And Cher cried, and her kids saw her, and she had the cover by saying that sometimes you cry because you're happy. And she then tells the story of her famous first appearance on Leatherman, which happened later that day, where she famously called Dave an asshole. She explains how she was pretty much set up to do it and wasn't prepared for it. And she said that Dave became her friend, but he sent her a letter saying that his mom liked Sonny best. Ha <laughs> ha. At the show I went to, Cher did manage to get in a nice ad lib referring to an egomaniac who we all knew was the president at the time. I didn't get any of these ad-libs in future shows, unfortunately. I would have liked to have heard more of them, because they are funny. Cher ends her monologue by asking the audience rhetorically, What's your granny doing tonight? Which gets a huge cheer every time, of course. And this is followed by an interlude called Gayatra Mantra, with the dancers dressed in colorful Indian outfits, Indian-inspired outfits, I should say. 
This was lifted from Living Proof, the Farewell Tour. Cher once again comes out on a prop elephant lip-syncing to the song, and this time she wears a pink sari instead of a blue one for this Indian princess outfit, and once the interlude is done, Cher comes down to perform All or Nothing. Yes, this was lifted completely from the farewell tour. However, I was okay with it. It was a highlight of that show, and it was the first time I got to hear her do All or Nothing in concert, and that is one of my very favorite Cher songs, so I was thrilled to hear it. It was actually my favorite moment of the show. I'm going to spoil that right now. It meant a lot for me to hear her do the song, and once again, I love the choreography and how she gets it with the dancers. And I do prefer the pink sari to the blue one. I think it was really pretty. It was definitely prettier than the green one that she has used in the most recent performances of the songs. That's not ugly, but it's still green. Not the best color for a sari, in my opinion. All or Nothing is followed by a Sunny and Cher video interlude, the same one from the Dress to Kill tour. We hear Little Man soundtrack the 60s portion of the video, and All I Ever Need Is You soundtrack the 70s portion. And this is once again followed by The Beat Goes On. Cher wears an updated version of the outfit worn on the Farewell Tour. This one is more sparkly, similar pants, a pink shirt this time instead of a purple one. Same hair. This is my favorite of the 60s costumes, I would say. And once again, I like this virtual duet between her and Sunny. The beat goes on is followed by a shortened version of All I Really Want To Do, one of my favorites by her, her best 60s hit in my opinion. And uh, this is followed by the show's emotional centerpiece, a virtual duet of I Got You Babe. At the first show I went to, I liked hearing Cher make a crack about how she thought about doing the song for her first farewell tour, which got a laugh from the audience because here we were 15 years after that tour began. This performance works like a charm every time she does it. And, just like the Dress to Kill tour, I Got You Babe is followed by a circus interlude, which is followed by Cher coming out to perform a medley of Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves, and Dark Lady. The outfit she wore for this show was very, very similar to the one that she wore for the Coliseum show, I'm glad it was brought back. It was definitely prettier than the one worn for the Dress to Kill tour, which was a downgrade from the Caesars outfit. She once again rushes through these songs. It's mostly there as service for, I guess, the early 70s fans, because she clearly doesn't care for them. This is followed by a Native American dance interlude, which is... Followed by Cher coming out to do part of Half-Breathe. This is the same outfit that she wore for the Dress to Kill tour. If it's not, it's very similar. I do prefer this to just the typical white headdress. But, as we know, this isn't done anymore. And that is because of something that happened at the end of this year, which I'm going to discuss at the end of the episode. I'm not really looking forward to discussing it, but it has to be done, I'm afraid. Half-Breed is followed by a shortened video clip of a song called You Haven't Seen the Last of Me. We've talked about it here before. It's a classic. And this is followed by a burlesque dance interlude, 
which leads into Cher performing Welcome to Burlesque in her costume from the movie. This is once again a nice tribute to that film. I initially thought it would have been better if she had sang You Haven't Seen the Last of Me Live instead of Welcome to Burlesque. After watching the Dress to Kill show in Philly, I think it's best that she did Welcome to Burlesque instead because You Haven't Seen the Last of Me is a really hard song to do live and she didn't quite get there. At least in Philly, she didn't. Burlesque is followed by the disco dance interlude, interestingly. This typically follows the early 70s hits, but not this time. And, of course, this leads into Cher performing Take Me Home in the same blue sparkly dress that she wore at the Caesars shows. I have to say, I loved the video backdrop for this performance. We got to see the album covers for Stars and I Paralyze and Take Me Home. It was pretty cool to see a shout-out to some of Cher's lesser-known albums during the show. Once again, this was the shortened version of Take Me Home. I love this song. I always like when Cher does it. I do kind of wish maybe she'd followed it with another disco song. This wouldn't have been a bad place in the show, actually, to put something like Dancing Queen or Gimme 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 after the ABBA album had come out the following year. Heck, even strong enough would have fit in this portion of the show because that is a 90s disco song. Let's not kid ourselves here. Take Me Home is followed by the best dance interlude in this show. This is an aerial dance interlude performed by two of the dancers. It is similar to the one that we saw before I found someone on the farewell tour, but this one is a lot better because it is set to lie to me from Closer to the Truth, and it's an absolutely beautiful performance. The only thing that would have made it better would have been Cher actually singing the song live in front of the dancers. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, which kind of makes sense. Lie to Me isn't one of her biggest hits, but it would have been a beautiful moment. This interlude was followed by the same movie montage we saw on the Dress to Kill tour. Of course, unlike that tour, it is not followed by Burlesque, because we already saw Burlesque in this show. Instead, it's once again followed by After All, which was not on the previous tour, but it's back here. And Cher comes out in a sparkly gold dress with a matching headpiece and blonde wig. She performs the song with Oliver Marland, her musical director. I don't think he sings Peter Cetera's part quite as well as Paul Merkovich. In Vegas, Cher sang this song on a gold boat that matched her outfit. At the National Harbor, she simply walked out onto the stage. I may have liked the performance a bit more if she had the boat at the National Harbor, but I still think the superior After All boat performance was during Cher at the Coliseum. I loved the Snow Queen jacket and the backdrop for it. There isn't much of a backdrop here, and so... This wasn't quite one of the highlights of the show for me, even though I love the song After All. That is followed by the same interlude we saw on the Dress to Kill tour of Cher talking about Elvis, and we see a clip of her performing as him during Diva's Las Vegas 2002. We hear her sing Heartbreak Hotel, which is awesome. 
But we don't hear her sing any Elvis songs, as cool as that may have been. I actually can't wait for that new Elvis movie coming out with Austin Butler and Tom Hanks. It looks awesome. However, back to the show, Cher comes out and sings Walking in Memphis. Initially, she wore blue jeans, a pink hoodie, and a blonde wig. She looked really pretty, and this was a highlight of the show for me. Because, like I said earlier, the 2017 performance of Classic Share I attended was a bit of an off night. However, I was reminded of the power of Share when she sang Walking in Memphis. She absolutely owned it. Just seeing and hearing her connect with a song so beautifully was a highlight of the night for me. Walking in Memphis was followed by my least favorite part of the show, the Shoop Shoop song, It's In His Kiss. We didn't see any backup singers throughout this entire performance, so a couple of the dancers did the backup vocals for this song with Cher. The energy that this song had during the Believe and Farewell tours was just not present during this performance. I think it did have a lot to do with the backup vocalists being different. I think they just should have retired the song after Patty Darcy Jones passed away. The Shoop Shoop song was followed by an instrumental interlude of Bang Bang. No backup vocalists doing this one like we had on the Dress to Kill tour. I still like this interlude okay, even without that. It's a good chance for the guitarist to show off, certainly. And this goes right into I Found Someone. Cher wears that similar whole fit that she's been wearing for the past several tours before this segment of the show. And she comes out and once again kills the song. This is one of Cher's all-time best. And uh, I loved seeing her leather jacket so up close and the pink lining of it. I hadn't gotten that look at it before. But of course, she throws that leather jacket off when she goes into If I Could Turn Back Time. Of course, this is a show highlight, especially live, but... Like I said earlier, at the performance I attended, Cher ended up kind of skipping the entire second verse. She lost herself in it and went right to the chorus again. But that is proof that Cher sings live. And she finished the song just fine. Cher then leaves the stage and the band finishes out the song. And it is followed by a dance interlude set to a remix of Believe... This is similar to the one we saw on the Dress to Kill tour, but this time the dancers are in silver outfits and colorful wigs, which coordinate with Cher much better. And Cher comes out to do Believe once again, this time in the same silver outfit we saw on the Dress to Kill tour. Well, not the exact same, but very similar. And initially, a straight hot pink wig that I actually really liked. I think pink looks really good on Cher. Once again, Believe closed out the show. I do think it's a great closer. And uh, that wrapped up Classic Cher circa 2017. I definitely got a feeling of deja vu as I saw that, and so did another concert goer I spoke to right after the show. But it did take a lot of the best elements of previous Cher shows and wrapped them into one, which I think was good. Classic Share did run through early 2020, after which the world shut down due to the COVID pandemic. 
At this rate, it doesn't look like it's returning. It was said that it would, but Cher has already revealed that she won't be performing in 2022 so she can take care of her mother. And I looked at the Park Theater's schedule, and it's looking pretty full for the rest of this year. And uh, the last shows at the National Harbor were in 2018. I'll be discussing those later. I think over time, this show got a chance to come into its own a bit more, especially once she did Dancing Queen and Mamma Mia and uh, the Here We Go Again tour. Having ABBA songs in the show did help make it a bit more unique from its predecessors. I really hate to say this, the show initially did feel a little thrown together just because it was so similar to previous shows, that's not fair at all to say. Of course, a lot of work still clearly went into the show. And Cher's performance skills are unparalleled, of course. However, I do think, especially initially, this show paled in comparison to the Caesars Palace residency from 2008 to 2011. I do recall Cher saying on Twitter in late 2016 that she was doing rehearsals for the new show and, wow, I'm not 65 anymore. That tweet did make me laugh. <laughs> but it all just felt really sudden. There wasn't a lot of promotion for the show, which I don't think helped ticket sales, and that was coupled with the fact that Vegas became a lot more competitive since Cher left in 2011. As she said in her opening night monologue... At the same time, Elton John, Diana Ross, and Jennifer Lopez were all playing on the Las Vegas Strip at the same time. When Cher was at Caesars, the Coliseum was the big residency venue, and she would be the only one playing it when she was there. This time around, she was at the Park Theater, and the Coliseum was still going strong with artists like Elton John and Celine Dion, and... Planet Hollywood successfully stepped into the residency game in 2013 with Britney Spears' very successful Piece of Me show, and has since hosted other artists, including, at this time, Jennifer Lopez, and others since, like Gwen Stefani, Christina Aguilera, and Shania Twain. So, yes, this time around, Cher had quite a bit of competition. She still managed to hold her own, but... The shows didn't sell out like they did before, I think in large part due to the increased competition and lack of promotion. Now, as I hinted at earlier, one of the costumes in Classic Share did end up coming under fire towards the end of 2017 on Twitter. And it is now time to discuss that. So, let's start at the beginning. In December 2017... Kaya Jones, a white woman, was President Trump's pick as Native American ambassador on the National Diversity Coalition, and this was not well received by many Native Americans. And at one point, Kaya tweeted, Another fellow half-breed, with a link to the song Half-Breed, best song from her. Never liked her political views, but proud she spoke about what it feels like to be half. Good job, Cher. This was really not well received because of both Jones using the term half-breed and claiming that she was far more Native American than she was. 
And this ended up leading to a discussion of Cher's heritage. As part of one of these conversations, journalist Jacqueline Keeler tweeted on December 22nd, 2017, Her blonde mother was white and claimed Cherokee or something. She used it to explain her dark coloring, which was really due to her Armenian father, her being Cher. And Cher saw this and was not happy and let this woman know. She said, My mother has... Dark hair, dark in all capital letters. She made it blonde because young working actresses and models were blondes. She had lead in Asphalt Jungle till Bombshell named Monroe read for it. Here's my beautiful mother, bitch! Two exclamation points. She was nursed on an old cotton pick sack, and you're not fit to shine her shoes. And uh, Cher provided some pictures of her mother with dark hair. This led to more tweeters uh, claiming that Cher was being racist towards Native Americans uh, and supporting Kaya Jones. And Cher did continue to defend herself. She said that she did the song 50 years ago and it wasn't meant to be offensive. She did admit that was kind of a bullshit excuse and she needed to retire the costume and stop singing it because it was way past time. And she also said that she is defending her mother, who was not doing well. In one of the tweets, she said, In all capital letters, Believe what you want. I didn't look at avatar or name. Just saw shit about my mom. I'm sick of being attacked as elitist, uncaring, un-American by Trump clan 24-7. I was pissed and not paying attention. Do you honestly think I'd be stupid enough to say those things, even if I felt them? While Cher said that it was past time to stop performing Half-Breed, she revealed that people have loved the song for over 40 years and people come to see her wear the beautiful headdress. And Twitter got further upset because Cher did not directly apologize to Jacqueline Keeler through tweets, even though I believe she tried to. She ended up apologizing, some felt half-heartedly. But she did. I am going to preface by stating that I am not a Native American. I have no Native blood. I do see why Half-Breed is problematic. It was definitely from a different time, but it is definitely politically incorrect. Do I think the song was written with offensive intent? No. But I don't think it's appropriate, even though I do enjoy the song. I do feel that Cher was a little too defensive of the song and the outfit. However, I do understand why she was angry that her mother was tweeted about. It was wrong of Jacqueline Keeler to make an assumption about her mother being blonde. She doesn't know Cher's family history. She clearly didn't do all of the research and did make a judgment call. It wasn't appropriate of Cher to call the woman a bitch. That was extreme. She was clearly very angry. And I do think that she tried to apologize, but didn't direct it towards her. And that caused a lot of confusion from what I'm seeing. I don't think Cher would go out of her way to offend any group of people. And realistically, even though Cher's song did start the whole thing, the conversation wasn't really about Cher to begin with. It was about this woman, Kaya Jones, uh, claiming to be Native American, even though it didn't appear that she was. 
That was the real issue. I'm not saying that Half-Breed is an appropriate song. However, I don't think Cher was the main issue here. I think the greater issue was the fact that a white woman was chosen as Native American ambassador for the National Diversity Coalition. That was the issue. This woman is clearly an idiot, Kaya Jones. I'm referring to, of course, she's an idiot. It was stupid of her to mention the song Half-Breed. It is not meant to be taken seriously. The song is over 40 years old. Now it's almost 50 years old. It really didn't need to be the topic of this conversation. It just ended up getting dragged in. I do realize that the people contributing to this conversation may not have necessarily been Big Share fans who knew a lot about her. I do think they should have done a bit more research before speaking on part of Cher's heritage and the song itself. Remember, Cher did not write Half-Breed. It was given to her to record, and I don't think that context was looked at in this discussion. So with that being said, do I think this outburst was Cher's finest hour? No. But do I think that some of this anger was misguided towards Cher? Yes. Now that I'm done talking about that, on to more lighthearted news. I'm very excited for this. I mentioned this on the last episode, but I have more information now. So for those of you who have been listening for a while, my friend Corey appeared on the 1975 and 2000 episodes of this podcast, and him and I had a great time doing it, And now we will be collaborating together on a brand new podcast. It is called Turntables and Tea. We will be recording the first episode very soon. And our first episode will actually be on the last Cher album I have to discuss, Dancing Queen. It will be both the first episode of Turntables and Tea and an episode of this podcast. I'll have more information about the future of that podcast in that first episode. But in the meantime, if any of you have any ideas for albums that you would like to hear discussed by me in a podcast form that are not by Cher, please let me know. I am very willing to hear your suggestions. We want all of them that we can get. I'm very, very excited for this new journey and hope that all of you join me on it. In the meantime, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can also rate it on iTunes. That would be a huge help. Also, follow on Facebook and Instagram at Turnback Time Podcasts, where you will get to hear info on new episodes of this show. There's only a couple more left, sadly. And some information about the Turntables and Tea Podcasts, as well as all kinds of share goodies. The Dancing Queen episode will be out very soon. I can't wait for you all to hear it. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and stay safe. Have a good one, everybody.